Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do. We talk about the stuff we've watched since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. We got we got no time, yeah. uh, which is good because we don't have that much to talk about, <laughs> mostly because I feel like, uh, here's a little teaser I'll throw out. Since the last time we did one of these, you and I have done a ton of re- podcast recording. That's right. Which means less time for movie watching because we've recorded a ton of podcasts. At this, at this point... You you don't know what all of those podcasts are. You know yeah. what some of them are. Um, the, the zombie commentaries, uh, which sure. are all day and are available now. That's right. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of stuff uh, in the pipeline that we're uh, excited about. Indeed. All right. What have you watched? All right. So this is a movie that I tried to watch in a, in the theater uh, like two years ago, but there was a talker in the theater who I confronted, and it did not go well. So I wound up leaving, and uh, so I went. I, I finally saw Kevin McDonald's Black Sea. Oh, I don't think I, 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 don't, I don't remember this story. Oh, I thought I told it. I'm sure so, you did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like there's so many stories about you, like, was this, this wasn't the young couple you confronted in the lobby afterwards. No, no. That was Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah. This wasn't the little whippersnappers you blew up at, that was Avengers. Right. Was this the couple, the older couple? Uh, Which one was that? Gosh, older couple, I don't know about an older couple. I think you terrified them. Oh, that they, one. They didn't see you come up to say, what movie was that? That, I believe, was... Oh, shoot. Now I don't remember the name of it. I, I own it. It's, um... Oh, it's the... It's... Give me some clues. It's like the with Rachel McAdams and Harrison Ford and Diane Keaton, like the, uh... Oh, right. Um, it's called Morning Glory? Yes, that's the yes, one. So, yeah, Jen and I went to see that, and, uh... Okay, so, so this is another story. This is another story. This is clearly the fourth least memorable story... <laughs> Oh, but this is the one that, uh, like, security got involved and all that. Wow, I don't remember. Because I got them involved, because okay. fuck this, these people. Where I, I, I was there with my friend uh, Joel, um, and this young couple uh, was down the aisle, and they were chatting and that kind of thing. And so about 15 minutes in, I was like, oh, I'm going to go say something. You know, maybe they'll be quiet. And I, you know probably should and it's like well people who talk in a movie theater probably aren't that considerate in the first place obviously and so i went up and said uh you know i'm sorry can you please uh can you please not talk and they're like we're being quiet and i said yes but i can still hear you <laughs> yeah, and no they, you're not yeah. being quiet <laughs> and they All said to the contrary i said well you should just move somewhere else in the theater and i said it's a small theater i'll be able to hear you literally anywhere why don't you just stop talking and, and then the guy's like who the fuck are you? And I said, I'm somebody who paid for a fucking ticket to see a fucking movie. And, uh, yeah, it didn't go well from there. What did and he say? So, well, he's just, he, he's like, he's like, man, why don't you just get the fuck out and just kept going like that. And uh, then now other people are paying attention. And, uh, so I decided to leave and go get security and, uh, security. That's the thing, like security in a movie theater, like the guy was very belligerent to security, but apparently they couldn't, uh, eject them from the theater. I don't know why. So weird. So I told, so I was like, all right, I'll just leave and I'll get my money back and all that. So I just, and I did not get a chance to see the movie until now because it okay. was on, it was on HBO Go. So I finally saw Black Sea, and this is one I've just weirdly seen twice. That's odd, <laughs> yeah. Because I know you're not a huge fan of it. It wasn't. It's it's not bad. It's yeah. also not great. Um, but yeah, that would uh, that would probably be my assessment. There are moments that are. It's a submarine movie. Uh-huh. There, it's only going to be so bad. Yeah, uh, that's true. I like submarine movies. 
and uh, you know, it's got all the tension that you want, and uh, it's got some fun social commentary. I don't know if I'd say fun, withering, yeah. some withering social commentary, and uh, that Eco- sequence, economic commentary, yeah, yeah. and uh, that sequence where uh, where Ben Mendelsohn and, and those other couple uh, divers are like out oh, yeah, on yeah. the ocean floor. That's really tense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, um, it wasn't quite as, uh, not that I was looking for an action movie, but I guess I used the word tense a moment ago. So it wasn't quite as tense as I wanted it to be as far as like these people going back and forth. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's no Crimson Tide. It's no Das Boot. Um, yeah. I think I'd probably put it a notch ahead U571, um, which I, I thought was... I liking that movie. Yeah. I remember thinking it was fine. I didn't love it. But uh, but yeah, and it's definitely a movie... I'll say this, and watching it, I was like, man, those assholes in the theater. This was a movie to see in the theater. Like, it really would have been... I think that would it really would have helped the, the claustrophobia instead of, you know, watching it on my computer. Um but uh, but I was I was happy I saw it you know um, a lot of good actors in there and uh, Ben Mendelsohn is just a guy that I'm I'm hypnotized by anytime mm-hmm. he's on screen. There's just an energy to him that I just can't get over. You just never really know what he's going to do. I think he's a very in the moment actor, um, which is kind of great. So and I like Scoot McNary and everything, All right. partially because his name is Scoot, <laughs> or at least he goes by Scoot. Yeah. But anyway. Um. I watched the movie um, called Sleeping with Other People. Um, not to be confused with Seeing Other People, mm-hmm. the uh, indie movie that no one but me saw 12 years ago with... Uh, Andy Richter's in it, right? Is he? I feel like it's... I might be thinking... Frank can... Kilborn and Julianne Nicholson. Oh, wow. Is that right? I think I'm picturing the cover. Okay. It's Wyatt with Feet. Is yeah, that the maybe, one? Yeah, maybe Andy Richter's like the buddy or something. I don't know. It's been a long time. Of course he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he's the antagonist. Uh, um, anyway, uh, but Sleeping With Other People is a much newer movie uh, directed by Leslie Headland, uh, whose name uh, is in the pop culture news this week because she's been, uh, what's the, what's the um, variety where she's been tapped to direct sure. the pilot of the Heathers TV series. Oh, all right. Um so anyway, uh, but this is a, uh, so sleeping with other people is one of those movies. And I feel like there's a handful of these every year that has a great cast. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, I'm going to pull like, up. who are we talking about? Prove it to me, David. Well, the two, um, leads you've got, uh, Jason Sudeikis and Allison Brie. Okay. And then you've got, um, uh, Jason Manzoukas mm-hmm. is in it. Um, who else? Adam Brody, um, Billy Eichner, uh, Amanda Peet, Adam oh, yeah. Scott, Natasha Leone. Uh, it's, it's one of those that has a, gr- a great cast. Um, Mark Blucas from, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Uh, Catherine Waterston is in okay. it. So yeah, it's good cast. Yeah. Great cast. And their combined talents, especially with so many funny people are definitely enough to carry you through. There's a lot of funny stuff in the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those romantic comedies that clearly thinks of itself as an unconventional romantic comedy, but whatever's unconventional about it is completely superficial, and it actually is a thoroughly conventional romantic comedy. So the premise is that uh, Jason Sudeikis and Alison Brie uh, play people who uh, 
met in college, lost their virginity to one another on a one-night stand, and never saw each other again for about 12 years until they run into one another at a sex addict's anonymous meeting. Mm-hmm. And so they um, decide to reconnect in a non-sexual way. So they essentially become best friends um, who acknowledge that there is sexual tension between them but um, have made a vow not to act on it. Okay. Um, but it's not even as interesting very, that, that sounds very conventional. <laughs> yeah, but it's less interesting than that sounds because it doesn't even really get into um, sex addiction at all. Like, it seems to use that as a setup for why they meet, but then it just sort of excuses away why they were there in the first place and yeah. doesn't even get into that. It's more about them just like, uh, she can't get over her first boyfriend and, and he's never been able to commit to anyone. And then, so it's like, it almost feels kind of insulting if you were a real like sex addict or knew someone who would like struggle with that. It seems kind of insulting that it's like, Oh, you're just waiting for the right person or whatever is like, that's clearly not the solution to sex addiction or whatever. Um, so yeah, that, that was a bit uh, of a bummer. And, uh, of course, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you how the movie ends, but it's obvious how the movie ends. Yeah. Um, uh, again, it's, it's a perfectly enjoyable experience because of the cast and the number of laughs in it. Mm -hmm. But, um, it's, it's not anything particularly remarkable. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm going to be doing a a panel at alpha mega con about the, uh, I know. Yes. When is this? It's uh, September 24th. I'll be doing two panels, but only that's, one uh, of them that's actually. That's a Saturday. That's a Saturday. It's going to be in Artesia, California. I don't know where that is. Um, but yeah, if you go to alphomegacon.com, that... then you can find out the details. But Isn't that one of the places that's always on fire? <laughs> Artesia? Oh, gosh, maybe. <laughs> and that's, I mean, late September, that is. That's fire season. Yeah. I'll tell you what's going to be on fire. Me, at this panel. Um so I'll be doing two panels. Uh, one is, uh, I didn't mean for this to be uh, a plug for this. It was, uh, ba- okay. it was background. Um, so one of them is going to be about horror movies. And then the other is going to be about the Christopher Nolan dark Knight trilogy. So I watched Batman begins, uh, a few days ago. I had not seen it in quite a while. Um, I had not seen it since, I think I'd seen it a couple times like uh, on, on video, but I hadn't seen it on Blu-ray and it's gorgeous. Mm. And, um, and in watching it, I got to say, uh, yeah, I have been right <laughs> this whole time. Batman Begins is the best of the three. Uh, <laughs> there is no question about it. And I'll be able to confirm that more with my next, uh, my ne- the next movie I watch, okay. but I'll, I'll, I'll save that, uh, for later. Um, yeah, Batman Begins is great. Like it's I to me that is in the running for like best superhero movie. It's certainly the best origin story. Um Okay. Because they kind of sneak in an origin story where Be- when the movie in flashbacks? Yeah, like when the movie right. starts, he's already he's halfway through his origin story. You know, he's he's already living as a criminal right. in this prison and it's just like that's a really interesting way to structure that. And I think the performances are all uh, marvelous. Uh, you know, I remember what I said at the time is this is the first Batman movie where I actually cared about Batman. Um, but I think it also really established the ensemble nature. You know, you've got Alfred, you've got Lucius played by Morgan Freeman, you've got Commissioner Gordon, but then you also have 
Tom Wilkinson in there and Liam Neeson and Killian Murphy. And it's, it is a, a lot of really strong characters, well cast, well played. Rutger Hauer is in there for Pete's sake. Um, and the big thing that I respond to with the film, um, is the, the mirrored, uh, father figures for Bruce Wayne, which I've, mm-hmm. I'm sure I've said on here before that like, there are three sets of, uh, f- of father figures, one of them good, one of them evil, and they all mirror each other. And so now not all of them are as, you know, prevalent, but you know, you've got Ra's al Ghul, you've got Alfred, you have Carmine Falcone, you have Commissioner Gordon. And then even on the corporate side, you have Lucius Fox. And then I don't know the name of the character that Rutger Hauer plays, but he is a, you know, he's he's not necessarily a, a bad guy, but he's, he's kind of corrupt. Sorry. My cat is they can't des- hear that. Okay. Uh, it's bothering me though. They hear it in mm-hmm. my voice. Um, <laughs> so it's just something that, that, that like the moment his, his parents are taken away, he is faced with choices and it's always between what is I'll, I'll uh, paraphrase Dumbledore. Uh, it's between what is right and what is easy. Mm-hmm. All, if he if he goes with Ra's al Ghul, then like yes, it's going to be difficult to kill criminals, but it's going to be it's easier to do that than to let them live because to let them live is to deny something in yourself, a sense of righteousness, a sense of vengeance, and a sense of justice. So it's just all of these things, and the film just explores it in a way that is not super obvious and not super clunky. And I just I really love it. I uh, I'm going to disagree with the clunky part, not in terms of. Well, yeah, the dialogue's not great. But, I mean, it's clunky in terms of its structure and pacing. This has always been my problem with it. Hmm. That um, mostly I feel like it... uh, Ra's al Ghul basically just disappears from the movie for too long to the point that when he comes Hmm. back at the end, it means less than it should to me. Because it's like... It's almost like the 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 that fourth act in Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I felt like this was over, and now we have... I didn't realize we had to address this thing. Hmm. That's kind of how I feel about Ra's al Ghul. He's gone for so long that when we have to fight him at the end, it's like, oh, I didn't realize I was supposed to be prepared for this. Like, I didn't realize this is what we were working toward. I thought that has never been an issue for me. Um, there's a, and then, there's of course, no, the way it does resolve that is bullshit. Oh, no question about it. I'll, I'll give you that all day long. Um, but you know what? I, I'm Because I'm thinking about this panel and I'm thinking about all three movies and I'm mm-hmm. thinking about Batman's arc over the course of those three movies, that ending... As okay. part of the larger arc, I understand. Okay. Well, uh, maybe you're giving too much credit to the the, the brothers Nolan. Uh, uh, undoubtedly. <laughs> also, I th- was it David S. Goyer that wrote that one? Oh, was it? Okay. I think so. Which, and it's odd that it, uh, as far as uh, pacing, I feel like the film has a lot of forward momentum. Like it's it it keeps going. I feel like there aren't just, a lot of scenes I, that go on too long. Awkward to me that. And I've said this before, but Ra's al Ghul disappears for so long that you start to just assume that the Scarecrow is the villain of the movie, and then he's dispatched with in the most ridiculous way. That is, yeah. And then it's like, what was that? And then it's like, oh, now I'm supposed to, like, I, I, I every time I've watched it, which is three times probably, mm-hmm. I have trouble mentally shifting gears into that final act. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's never been an issue for me. But I'm somebody that, I don't know what it is about old Liam Neeson uh-huh. <laughs> that I remember when uh, ever since I saw Gangs of New York and he's gone after five minutes, I remember saying that like his absence is a bigger role than DiCaprio on screen. Like 
when it, partially because people are talking about him, and and when you ha- when you hear Bill the Butcher talk about him, um, it's just like, oh yeah, like this character is vi- is ever present, even though he's dead, and it's kind of. Maybe that's how I feel about this as well. Right, is yeah, that like that he's gone, but he's ne- he's always kind of there. Are you now? We talked about it in our phone review preview, but are you looking forward to a monster calls? Is that what it's called? Tremendously. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, all right, moving on. I saw um, a movie I've been very much looking forward to, and I missed my chances. Uh, so I went and saw a Noon Screening uh, in Santa Monica, and it was uh, still uh, movie's been out for weeks, and it was still fairly well attended. Of Ira Sachs' Little Men. Oh, okay. Um, I like. I have really liked Iris X's last couple of movies, uh, Love is Strange and Keep the Lights On. Um, and this one is definitely in the uh, Love is Strange mode in that it's sort of like deceptively low stakes, it seems like, yeah. but there's actually huge, huge things going on. The premise of the movie is that um, uh, there's, a, there's a family, it's... Um, uh, Greg Kinnear is the dad, and then there's a the mom and son. Um, and Greg Kinnear's dad dies, and he owned a building in Brooklyn, with an apartment upstairs and a store downstairs that he rents out. And so Greg Kinnear uh, is a, an out-of-work at work actor. Um, is uh, The wife, who's I'm forgetting the actress's name. Um, it's not too my tongue. Anyway, she works, but the, that's her only income, so they move into this place that's already owned, so they don't have to pay rent anymore. Um but they realize this is Brooklyn. This is an upcoming neighborhood. There's this store downstairs that's just this woman selling like clothes that she makes and has been there for decades at this point mm. and is not paying the level of rent that they could now charge in the neighborhood. Uh, but the problem is their son becomes best friends with this woman's son. So um, it's sort of two storylines at once. You've got the friendship between the two young boys and you've got this sort of like uh, – real estate standoff between the parents and the uh, woman who owns the shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you kind of see how the two relationships affect one another. Um, and it's like just a sort of breezy 85 minutes that never seems to get too heavy. But then once it's all um, said and done, you realize it was actually quietly very profound. Uh, it's a great movie. Did you see Love is Strange? I did not. Okay. I, I wanted to because I like both of those actors. Yeah, and Alfred Molina actually has a, a small role um, in in this one as, as, as well. He plays the uh, a friend of the Leonor's, her name, the Chilean woman um, who owns the, the store, uh, a friend and uh, legal advisor uh, okay. once things get uh, testy. Here's something that I was thinking as you were talking it's uh, it's off of something you said, where Greg Kinnear playing an out of work actor. Isn't it odd uh-huh. that Greg Kinnear, who has a very specific, who has a, a one could say movie star looks, like there's mm-hmm. a, and a certain quality to him, um, a good I'd say seventy percent of his career has been spent playing like losers. <laughs> Isn't that strange? That is interesting. Yeah, he has played a lot of like down in the dumps types. And, yeah, yeah down on their luck types yeah yeah and just yeah, i don't know what it is yeah. uh that i guess his specific on-screen persona i i guess he can use this this quality to him to sort of play characters that are presented one way but have like a, a deep desperation r- right underneath the surface like in little miss sunshine mm-hmm. and as good as it gets yeah and 
and then something like autofocus, which is kind of a, a, an odd combination of these things. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. He's a fascinating actor to me. I like him. Um, okay, so next up for me is The Dark Knight. Okay, <laughs> you want to talk about clunky? Uh-huh. Holy shit! No, thank you. Okay, so I just was a little bit hyperbolic because it's still a wonderful, maybe not wonderful, but there are moments in that film that are just absolutely marvelous. I mean, mm-hmm. that uh, th- there's something about a real semi flipping over, yeah. like v- 100% vertically, that is just astounding to me. Yeah. Um, moments like that are just like, oh, yeah, movies, right? Have you watched, you have the Blu ray or yeah. the, have you watched the special features? Like, um, uh, I have about, not. Like about the semi flip, like mm-hmm. it's just amazing how much money these movies spend because yeah. they like they're like, well, let's not try this for the first time on a narrow street in Chicago. Yeah. So there's like footage of them like flipping semis out in the desert just to make sure they can <laughs> get them to go straight because if it goes yeah haywire, it's going to cost a lot of money to fix the yeah. buildings that it would have uh, crashed into. Also, it needs to. It's just more pleasing to see it just go completely straight because this thing is the whole aspect of that chase is about moving forward just you know Mm -hmm. i guess guess it's any chase but just just constantly moving in a straight line forward and now you're continuing to move forward but just not the way you want (laughs) it to um moments like that are are wonderful like the spectacle aspect of the film i have no problem with at all um you know I, i do like the way they develop uh bruce wayne I still have my issues with the Joker, um, partially with the performance, and I think also with the way he's written. I appreciate a lot of what he is, but I think I have a very specific idea of who the Joker is, and I feel like he doesn't necessarily fit into it. Um, but that's that's my issue. Um, yeah, I would disagree with you on that. I mean, I, I, I don't like the movie a whole lot more than, than you do. I do think yeah. it's better than Batman Begins, but... Um, that's one thing I would disagree with you on. I really like his performance. It's, it might be, it's getting to the point now, it might be just the way the character is conceived, which is not a function. I think he's playing the character exactly right for how it is written. And I find a lot of the character's philosophy really interesting. Um, but there's just something about the Joker and how I know him. Now, admittedly, how I know him is Cesar Romero, Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. and then... Which is not merely the actors, but also the way they're portrayed and the way mm-hmm. they're written. And then Batman, the animated series. Yeah. And the big thing that, the big difference that I find between those Jokers and this one is that when this one laughs, I don't think he actually find. it seems forced. I don't think he actually is finding anything funny. When any of those other Jokers laugh, it's because they find something funny. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who, you know, uh, he doesn't smile easily. You know, and so there's that scene where he's like videotaping uh, a, a fake Batman. Yeah. And there's a part where he's looking at the camera and he says, you know, people will die. I'm a man of my word. And then he just bur- bursts out laughing. But it's just like, you haven't, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe that you're laughing on a, instinctively. Um, I feel like you're forcing it. And it just, it seems strange to me. So moments like that kind of take me yeah. out of... I, I mean, I guess I don't disagree, but I also don't think that's betraying the character. I think that's who that character is. Exactly, which is the issue for right. me. Um, but again, thematically, I love what they do with the Joker because it gives me a lot to talk about uh, <laughs> in my panel. Um, 
alphaomegacon.com. And so, but that's the thing. September 24th. Be there, be there. What is your take? And I know we can't talk much about this. What is your take on the whole, uh, on Harvey Dent? In Do I have movie. a take on Harvey Dent? Yeah. I don't know. What, um... In watching it, I feel like his arc and certain aspects of his character are rushed. Oh, yeah. that's Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. That you've got a, a, a rich vein there that you kind of tapped and ran dry yeah. really quickly. Yeah, within like 30 minutes. Um, yeah, like I remember in the movie feeling like, oh, they're setting this up for the third one. And then like yeah. the entirety, like goes from being Harvey Dent to being Two-Face to being dead. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, in like half an hour. And they also have little things like when he when he takes one of Joker's henchmen and is like flipping his coin and he's like very angry and stuff. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand this Harvey Dent. I don't believe him. Oh, like, I, get, I get the anger. I get the anger, but I don't, I don't know where it came from. Like, I don't know. Again, I'm thinking of the animated series. Yeah, stop thinking. Just think of the movie yeah. that you're watching. He's angry because he was... Uh, an idealist and everything literally blew up in his face and he feels like... Oh, but this is before that happens. But this... Um, this is this is uh, when... I think Rachel has been taken, but she she's okay. not dead and he's trying to but find still, the location. But still, he's on the way to realizing that, his, like, that he's a guy who's done everything yeah. right and it's getting him absolutely nowhere. And I think that's... I think my issue is that, like, that's a wonderful beat to play. I would have liked to spend more time on it. Okay. Um, but I think the character is a little bit rushed. I watched a uh, tiny little film um, that uh, is available on Amazon to rent called Beautiful Something. Uh, it's a movie from last year directed by uh, a guy named Joe Graham or Joseph Graham. And it's uh, one of those uh, uh, all-in-one-night interwoven stories, oh, yeah. m- movies, but this one's a little more... Um, like 200 cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but this one's not a comedy. Um, and it's more specific in that it's about four different gay men and it tracks okay. their nights and some of them run into each other and some of them know each other and some of them don't. Um, and, uh, it's, I would say it's a bit amateurish and especially in its direction. And, uh, this guy could use a better, um, DP. Unfortunately, it it's very flat. It's just from last year, 2015. Okay. Uh, it's very flat looking, unfortunately, but, uh, there are some really interesting ideas there. The, the thing that I think the movie is kind of doesn't go out of its way to point out, but essentially you've got the four characters who are roughly in their twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties. So you've got that, um, that's sort of what, what differentiates them. And, uh, basically the movie is, it just tracks them over the course of one night. I don't need to go too much into the, into the, into the plot, but, um, the thing that's, that's interesting about it. It seems to be an examination of, the of sort of inner like out, out, outer uh, aesthetic beauty and inner beauty mm-hmm. you know um, in terms of personality and, and compassion and stuff like that and um, the way that those things can sometimes be separated unnecessarily and also the way that some, those things could be conflated unnecessarily and right. the sort of angst that comes around like you know you've got the one character who um falls in love with anyone he has sex with immediately. And that's, uh, you know, not very healthy, but then you've got the other character who can only express his love for another person through sex and through, Mm -hmm. you know, the physical appreciation and can't seem to say, so which one's like Miranda, you know, (laughs) they aren't friends. Oh, okay. Most of them don't know each other, but their paths cross. Um, and it's, I would say it's a, uh, the guy's made a couple movies before that I haven't seen, 
But uh, I'd say it's a really interesting early feature, and I look forward to Joseph Graham guy becoming a more uh, refined filmmaker and maybe getting um, some more um, talented actors. I think that some of the problem mm. is the two younger characters are also put by the two younger actors who are not the best. The older yeah. two characters are uh, quite solid. But, um, it, yeah, with, with with some more experience, I think he could this guy could make a really, uh, really good movie. Should have gotten that Jacob Tremblay. That's a good young actor. Uh, not that young. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. I'm, you don't I'm, want <laughs> Jacob Tremblay depicted doing the things oh, that happen in this movie. Fair enough. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm a bit punchy right now. Yeah, uh, it's very late. So, okay. Uh, lastly, uh, this was a rewatch for me, and I, I realized I haven't seen this film since high school, and that is Robert Wise, Robert Wise's West Side Story. I probably haven't seen it since high school either. Uh, now, I say Robert Wise, but he has a co-directing credit with Jerome Robbins, who is the choreographer. Right. Um, West Side Story, so for a long time, I think I cited that as my favorite movie musical. Okay. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore, but not, it's not for lack of trying. Uh, <laughs> it is very good. It is a very, and especially from a, from a filmmaking standpoint, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Wise is an unsung director. Uh, he might be something of a journeyman, but boy, he turned out some great movies. Um, yeah. What know, else did he do? The day the earth stood day still? the earth stood still is the first place my mind goes. Yeah, and then West Side Story, uh, he made sound of music. Oh, right. Um, and then, and, uh, I think he directed, uh, I think he directed the setup that, uh, I've never seen that. Oh, it's great. You, I, I think you would love it. Um, he made Star Trek, the motion picture. Oh, that's right. Well, let's see. The can't all be winners. <laughs> yeah. He made the Andromeda strain. Never seen that one either. Uh, the original, the haunting. Um, I have not. That's the one where um, Owen Wilson gets his head knocked off by a gargoyle. That's the original one, right? Yeah, Robert Wise, you're a genius. (laughs) He discovered Owen Wilson. Did you know that? Um, So, but yeah, the first, I mean, the first uh, 10 minutes of the film, uh, aside from the overture, like, um, is done almost completely without any singing or talking. Like, it's all visual. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's dancing, but it's also, you know, the camera is not just, static and we're just watching people dance and sing like it is an active participant and you know i think it just the fact that robert wise started as an editor i think makes a big difference in the kind of director he was um because i think he just has an instinct for how a movie should flow um so from filmmaking no no problem like it's a great movie um I think my issue might be with just the story itself. Um, that being the West side story, <laughs> uh, with, uh, Tony and Maria, because it's, you know, everyone knows it's sort of like a Romeo and Juliet, but I think the issue is that it focuses so much on the, on the jets and the sharks and not quite as much on, uh, Tony and Maria that their romance seems like a subplot. Like I'm, I'm just as interested, if not more interested in Riff and Bernardo, who are the heads of their respective gangs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more interested in them and just the way the gangs operate as I am like these two mm-hmm. young star cross lovers. And I feel like that is a mistake. Hmm. And I feel like it's possible that maybe Robert Wise should have taken some of the songs out. Like, 
the Officer Krupke song. Why? I'm just saying, like, if the, if if you we never are supposed to musicals, I enjoy the occasional <laughs> musical. I like cabaret, and uh, I love cabaret too. But that is kind of the musical for people who don't like musicals. That's true. You know what? I do. I recently that rewatched the sound. Musical. I recently watched the Sound of Music, and I loved it. Um, and so I, I also that one in even longer than West Side Story. I should watch Sound of Music again. And I'm not really familiar with the musical, The Sound of Music, but uh, Josh Long, uh, my More Than One Lesson co-host, he was familiar with it, and so he actually knew a lot of the songs that got cut from okay. that. So Robert Wise, not, a, not afraid to cut songs. And I feel like there's, you know, that, uh, that Officer Krupke song is fun, but it really, Tony's not involved. It has nothing to do with the story. It's just, it's the life of a jet, uh-huh. And that's it. And that's fun. But if you're trying to have some forward, if you're trying to have some forward momentum from a story standpoint, from a character and relationship standpoint, then that is a song that needs to be cut. And there's a, there's some others that need to as well. And so certain things like that, everything good. Yep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, man. Okay. Uh, so things like that keep me from really embracing this because I think what the movie thinks I should be interested in is actually not what I'm that interested in. And I feel like that is a flaw in the storytelling, um, which ultimately means it's a flaw in, in choices that Robert Wise made, but, but it's still, you know, very vibrant and very exciting to watch. And, uh, and, uh, what's her name? Rita Moreno. Uh, uh-huh. uh, she's who won best supporting actress. She plays Anita. Uh, she's marvelous. And it's a, it's a great movie all around. Uh, sorry, it's a very good movie all around with great aspects to it. But I was actually a little bit disappointed in watching it again. That's a bummer. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Although I did want to mention, I don't have much to say. Actually, no, that's not true. I could do hours and hours on this. Um, I did rewatch Cloud Atlas, oh, yeah. um, which I love more uh, with every passing day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, anyone who disagrees with me uh, can go suck an egg. Um, but maybe just watch it again and realize uh, how brilliant it is. Um, when was the last time you saw it? In, I've only in seen the it in the theater. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen it a, a handful of, of times now. Um, and it's, I mean, this is the movie that's designed, it it's a movie that's designed for multiple viewings because there's so much going on. Yeah. And there's so many things that I like, that seem obvious after a few viewings, but like sometimes the, the actors disappear so far into some of their roles that you forget that it's the same actor storyline to storyline. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, in m- most cases, that's intentional. They didn't just like scatter to the roles and say, here, you play this and this and this. No. I mean, maybe some things like with a little like Susan Sarandon showing up as an Indian man. Like that's, yeah. that's just a little fun thing. But like most of the time that uh, the, the actor, it's important who they're playing. Yeah. You know, even like, uh, the one that went over my head the first time, and uh, this is shameful because it's so obvious, but um, when Louisa Ray, the 1970s Holly Berry character, mm-hmm. is searching for the Cloud Atlas sextet, the actual piece of music, the employee who finds it at the record store is Ben Wishaw, yeah. who wrote it, yeah. as, as Robert Frobisher. Like, th- those kind of things, like... Uh, I, 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 some of those connections I missed the first time because there's so so many of them, and of course because I had read the novel and that's not they don't have like you don't have the same actors in a novel because it's a no. novel they're all different characters so um, that's that idea of the um, uh, of of these characters being sort of reincarnated over time is unique to the movie obviously yeah um, 
I would need to watch it again because I remember one, a, a big a big issue that I had uh, with the the casting um, was that like Hugh Grant never plays a positive character. Yeah, and that idea kind of bothered me because it sort of just says that like, yeah, some people are just always bad. They can't ever be good. Uh, Doesn't matter. See, I, I, I don't see it that way. I don't see it as they can't always be good. There's a tragedy to some characters won't. Yeah, but I don't think it's tragic. I don't think they treat it as tragic. Um, well, I guess uh, you see it differently than sure. than I do. Because um, I, well, I think the most tragic actor thing is the Ben Wishaw thing, who yeah. because he never, after he commits suicide, he never gets a major role. And yeah. that, that does seem a very intentional yeah, choices like that, that are great. Like that, there's something cut short about his yeah. his his journey over yeah. time. He has made um, a choice to no longer be a part of this. Uh, yeah, um, uh, but I love the Tom Hanks one, who goes from being the villain to yeah. the the hero. Even even, but even though in his final story, when he the one he's the star of, which is the furthest ahead in time, yeah, he doesn't even start out as a hero. There, he you know becomes a hero. Yeah, um, over the course of that, where you see him sort of. But you look back over the two century, or yeah. it's more than that. It's something like five hundred years uh, that it's supposed to take place over, um, and you see his character uh, flirt with more heroic uh, actions um, uh, over the course of, of the of the thing. I don't know. It's it is. It I, is do really I, like, I, I do really like. I do really like his murderous doctor character, uh, Doctor Goose. Doctor Goose. Yeah. yeah, and that he's just so delighted in his yeah. evil he's like, um, yeah there is gold in your trunk i want it and so i have killed you for it yeah <laughs> that's his line <laughs> yeah it's very uh, it's kind of it's it's disturbing actually yeah. that somebody takes that much glee in it um a couple of things real quick um i did watch a couple episodes of south park yeah we talked about this last week right but i watched <laughs> the one where carmen wants to go to casa bonita Oh, classic. 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 And it made me remember visiting, it's in Denver. I lived in Denver. Yeah. And it, so I've been to Casa Bonita. I, I was surprised to learn from you that it's a real place. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a yeah. real place. Um, <laughs> and then and you don't uh, like Mexican food. I don't, but the, I really enjoyed the atmosphere. And uh, they have these uh, sopapillas, which are basically like a dessert. And uh, oh, okay. those weren't bad. Uh, and then I did want to say to everybody, uh, we, we, I think briefly mentioned it, uh, but I wanted to say it officially. Um, our zombie commentaries are yep. now available. Um, you can go to battleshipretention.com and then right there on the side, it'll, there'll be a graphic for our commentaries. Uh, they are $3 each. Uh, we talk about night of the living dead, dawn of the dead, day of the dead, and then Zack Snyder's dawn of the dead remake. They are $3 each, or you can buy them all for 10. Uh, we had a lot of really fun guests and this is a way for you to support the show and also get something out of it, which is about seven and a half, seven and a half to eight hours of content that is, uh, fun. And I think at times insightful. And in some cases we get some, uh, some nice, uh, exclusive content from our guests, which was, uh, unexpected and very exciting. Yes. So, all right. That's Check it. that out. Yeah. Yeah.